Some of you have asked how you can help us. While most of us would say, we want wine. <sighs> Italia Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs the moolah. You can donate through Patreon or GoFundMe by heading to italianwinepodcast.com. We would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin. And today, I am so happy to welcome Chuck Jackson Jr., also known as the Wine Guy, in his home state of Michigan. Chuck's formal training is in law, but he's been driving force for wine for the past 20 years, and he wears a lot of hats, such as CEO of Domain Detroit Brands, Excursion Ambassador and Wine Ambassador for the House of Pure Vent, and he also does a lot of wine consulting and spreads his wine knowledge through all his tasting events. And I was drawn to Chuck when I read a quote from him where he said, To me, wine and spirit education involves discovering what each individual likes or loves about that beverage. Wine and spirit education should not be limited to discussions on terroir and the right stemoir for the right wine or spirit. While providing knowledge, I'm able to expose brands that have not been shown to the demographic that I represent, and I want my patrons to drink what they like. So I love this quote, and I can't wait to talk to you, Chuck. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Well, Cynthia, thank you for inviting me. It, uh, it's a pleasure to speak on the topic that I have so much passion for. Great. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation because I think we're very like-minded. I, I want to find out first, before we get going, how you got from a career in law into such a thriving career in wine. What inspired you to get into wine? Well, what inspired me to get into wine, into the wine business in particular, was a trip to Napa. It was either 2002, 2003. I went to Visatui and have like a little grotto area with a fountain. And I just sat by that fountain and I was going through a lot of stress at that time. And I realized that my stress was lifting. And I said, well, dang, I could be around this forever. Before then, I was just a regular wine drinker. Um, I'd been drinking wine since I was 17. 
and had really gotten serious while I was going to law school. So uh, it was Visatui that gave me the uh, impetus to get into the wine business because once I got back, I started a wine tour business here in Metro Detroit to take people to the wineries here in Michigan. I think that is so cool. You're a very sort of organic path into uh, into wine. It makes a lot of sense kind of taking your, you know, your course from your studies moving along from your stress and sort of how you had been drinking wine and turning it into something that you could be really active in. So I, I like the organic feeling of, of that journey. Not everybody's goes that way, so I like it. But I have got to sort of bring up the, the obvious point here. Michigan is not known for great wines. So I can say that because I'm from Ohio. So you know, you're taking people to wineries in Michigan. I know you're really involved in the wine scene there. What are some of the up and coming trends in wine, you know, in that part of the Midwest, you know, since you started, you know, getting into wine 20 years ago, what development have you seen in the past couple of decades? The last couple of decades, we've actually had a number of people choose Michigan over other wine growing areas to start their to start their vineyards and wineries. I am actually the chairperson for inclusion and expansion for the Michigan Wine Collaborative. So we have several winery members that I count as some of the best winemakers in the world, to be perfectly honest. Because who is that? Brian Obrecht at Left Foot Charlie used to be the premier winemaker or the, the main winemaker at Peninsula Cellars. And at that time, when I was breaking into the business, Peninsula Cellars was actually winning international awards for their Rieslings here in Michigan. So when people say we're not known for our wines, I'm just going to say they obviously are not paying really close attention to the competitions. And generally, the Rieslings, our Rieslings have been, um, have, been have received accolades all around the world. We are not known for our red wines, and I think that's what most people are really talking about. If they're talking about Riesling, we're tops. We are doing, what's it, Pinot Blanc and Oxwa. I have just uh, finished a project, a fundraising project for the Inclusion Expansion Committee, where the where 60% of the blend of the wine that we're using for this fundraiser is Pinot Blanc. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it makes sense because, you know, you're in north, it's cold. You know, I live in Veneto, you know, we do a lot of um, Pinot Blanc and then further north, obviously Trentino, Alto Adige, we get into the Riesling. So I'm trying to think in my mind of latitude lines around the globe, but but we're very north. So it, it makes sense that you're doing those wines. You know, we, we were talking at the beginning that you wear a lot of hats, you know, a lot of wine hats, which sounds kind of fun to me, actually. But I can tell you've got a lot of hard work going on. Um, you started at Detroit City Cellars, and you work for Uptown Toast hosting their wine socials. And, yeah. you know, you're on the board with Mahogany Tasters. You're doing all kinds of things, educating, procuring wine. What's the wine community like in Detroit? You know, who are your customers? Who are your students? Well, let me break down one of the things you mentioned. Detroit City Cellars was a project that was started, and that particular project did not reach completion. But it's what I call the sister project, and it's called Detroit Vineyards. Oh, okay. And that is actually a state-of-the-art working winery in actually downtown Detroit. Wow. The scene, I mean, is most people, because Detroit has really evolved and started growing its, its culinary in probably the last six years. I, there's been a number of articles posted that we're 
we're building to be the next foodie city. And with that comes a necessity to know about wine. So Absolutely. We are, at where I work at House of Pure Vin, it is primarily geared towards educating the demographic. And mostly, you know, I am a uh, 60-year-old African-American male. Most people don't see us as, as a demographic for wine, but I can tell you that that demographic is there. We are buying wines, and most people look to us as having a sweeter palate, and I defy that. I will tell you, I started out in sweeter wines, but that's going to be the next, I think the next thing we do for the fundraising project is next year we're going to do a red blend. Oh, wow. Well, that's, I mean... I, I really I'm so on board with this idea of, you know, not singling out any particular demographic as being into wine or not into wine. So, you know, I, I love hearing that you're sort of educating the people in your community and, and really reaching out, especially I'm hoping young people, too, because um, we've got to keep young people involved in wine. If we don't, we're going to have no more clients. We're going to have a, a real drop in, in our wine purchasing and probably a, you know, kind of hand in hand drop in wine production. So I love that you're reaching out to, you know, a demographic that gets passed over. Um, I I resent that. So I love people that are reaching out. I, I feel that way too. I reach out to um, a young demographic personally. uh, And I, I'm not really bothered by what race or sex or whatever you are. If you're into wine, then I'm into you. So I, I love that. Well, that's what's going on. That's what's going on now is the fact that I I can honestly say I've been mentoring the next generation of millennials and 30 and 40 somethings that are that are basically really, really into wine. And so I'm using my connections, exposing the next generation to the experiences that I've had within the industry. Because I actually, at House of Pure Vid, we now have, I believe it's two, almost three wine influencers on Instagram that work for uh, House of Pure Vid. So they're constantly out there. They are, I believe, what is WSET2 certified, working on uh, WSET3. So Again, the wine knowledge is there. It stretches across many age demographics now. So This makes me happy because I'm a WSET educator. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that it's, it's reaching out there into Michigan and, and getting, getting to young people and, and getting across a lot of de- different demographics. I mean, WSET is a hard one because we all know it was, you know, sort of invented by old white guys in London. So uh, it's it's nice to know that it's still getting out there and finding finding new ground to break in Michigan, which is pretty cool. Definitely. Well, my listeners will know that your philosophy about wine is sort of right up my street. You know, it, you know just how we're talking about not restricting ourselves to any kind of group, not restricting ourselves to any kind of people, but also language and topics, um, stemware, things like that. And we want everybody to fall in love with wine like we did. I'm like you. I fell in love with wine when I was 19. So I know that you're working with Michigan Wine Collaborative and your role as the chair of diversity, as you said, uh, is causing a lot of new projects to come about. What what kind of new things have you got going there? Well, actually, the Michigan Wine Collaborative, I believe, was started to unify winemakers, vineyards, the various vendors, the cooperages, the distributors, the importers to have one entity that, that they could 
come together and find synergy. My goal since I joined, because I became the chair after uh, George Walker III got his dream job with Wade Sellers. Right, right. So my focus has been more on bringing more more of the culinary side and hospitality side into into the collaborative because we all need to work together to make everything to make everything work where whether it's wine and spirits and food everything comes together especially in the hospitality industry so i'm really trying to bring more not just diversity as far as underrepresented peoples but actually adding another industry in under the umbrella of the wine michigan wine collaborative so that those employees at hotels, restaurants, and bars can actually gain more wide knowledge. It makes a lot of sense, especially if Detroit is, you know, an up and coming foodie city. They need to they need to know what wines to pair and um, how to get that out there. So that's a really I think that's going to be a never-ending project, frankly. <laughs> well, well, I was just approached by the vice president of the collaborative since I'm I'm chair over inclusion expansion. There's an open position in membership. And he says, well, you're coming up with some great ideas. You know, are you interested in being the chair of membership? And it's almost like I still have a full-time job in the court system here in the city of Detroit. Everything you see I've done, I've done on the side over the last 20, 20, 25 years. There's only so many hours in a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm seriously considering it just because of the fact that I think that I can bring something to that mix to spur membership because I was just on LinkedIn the other day. Somebody popped in, wanted to be a contact, and he's really, really into wine. And as we were talking, he went ahead and signed up for the collaborative. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So so it's working. And, and you've got social media up your sleeve as well, too. As you said, you've got influencers working there, too. So that's pretty cool. You've been talking about domain Detroit brands or, you know, what turned into Detroit Vineyards and House of Pure Event. So what wines are the top sellers there you know in your in Detroit what's what's selling well are people drinking mostly local or are they drinking US wines in general or are they looking at international wines what's going on at Detroit vineyards everything there is made at the winery so that's local wine house of pure Vin is a wine shop that basically sources from boutique wineries all around the world it's broken down basically by region. Uh, So we have Michigan and Canada, but then we also bring in stuff from France, Germany, Italy. We were bringing in some stuff from Georgia. Uh, We were doing sake. We were doing sparkling wines and champagne. So when you ask about one of the biggest sellers at House of Pure Vin, to a certain extent, we do have a focal point on boutique wineries, the smaller producers, including some uh, some black winemakers. We also at House of Pure Vin try to make sure that when we're educating, we actually bring the winemakers in as much as possible. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. 
It's so helpful to have those conversations with the producers. Correct. Because uh, we had the winemaker from Asalina in South Africa came and Oh, Nitsiki Baella. I love her. Yes. I absolutely love her. <laughs> she, she, she's amazing. Her story is, is just crazy. But we also had Donnie Burston, the producer for La Fetta Rosé. We've had Coral Brown in from Brown Estates. Victoria Coleman from Lobo. So it's, and I'm trying to remember who else that we have. And she's actually one of my, one of my contacts on LinkedIn. <laughs> but we just, we educate while having fun. So. Well, it sounds like, I mean, that, that's a huge program, actually, much bigger than I had anticipated you telling me. But no, that's not the half of it, because we were trying to institute some things before COVID. And we're now, now that we're kind of breaking out of COVID a little bit, we're going to go back to that, which is to do excursions locally, nationally, and internationally. So that's how I ended up in Bordeaux in 2019, right before COVID, doing a scouting trip. And I went to Bordeaux, Cognac, and Champagne. Oh, great trip. Well, what what Italian wines are you doing? Since we're on the Italian wine podcast, I have to ask. Actually, our patrons are into some of the sweeter reds, but we do have some people. We, we, we keep Brunellos. We keep Montepulciano's. And in fact, we were focusing a lot on Sicilian wines, uh, Nero, Nero Diavolas, Griots. Oh, great choices. Uh, Norella Mascalese. We do a lot. <laughs> well, you, you, it's funny because you just brought up that, that concept again that of your clients who are, tend to drink some of the sweeter reds. And you've said that, you know, a lot of the perception behind black communities or people of color in the States is that they only drink sweet wines. And you're trying to sort of push back against that. So what's your strategy to change that perception in the industry? How are you introducing more wine styles to your sort of longtime customers who prefer a sweeter wine, or maybe because they don't know about some other alternatives. What are you doing? My goal has always been to find certain what I call transition wines. Ah, okay, interesting. And my general transition wines will always be for white wines, white blends. Uh, when people say they or but my best one is when people say they don't like Napa Chardonnays, I always introduce them to a nice, crisp um, Chablis. Yeah, perfect. If they're saying they're not into drier reds, generally I will start either with a Pinot Noir or a Lodi Zinfandel. Those, and I literally, there was one person that we literally flipped with a Lodi Zen, and she was straight up Moscato drinker, Moscato Diasti drinker. and we poured her a load eyes in and she went crazy. She was like, oh, I can drip this. I was like, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Don't say what you don't like until you tasted it. And I always tell people it's not the grape. It's the maker. That's so true. It's so true. And some people still don't understand that when you say you don't like Chardonnay, it's not the grape. It's how it's made. Exactly. And I think it sounds like you've really built up a big trust with your community, too. Um, and people trust you to give them things that they're, you know, they're probably going to like. So I think that's a really important part of breaking down these barriers and educating people. And it sounds like you've spent 20 years building up a huge community who all trust you and, and trust you to pour them something good. So that's amazing. Um but I, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Again, also going back to um, Domain Detroit, you started the Wine Festival, and that's been going for 20 years. So let me hear about that. No, the Wine Festival was actually what what I wanted to do. 
and it <laughs> it became a hardship to get it started. And so it more or less I'm sure it was. It more or less morphed into my winery tours because I basically said if I can't bring the if I can't organize to bring the wineries to Detroit, I'm gonna take Detroiters to the wineries. That's awesome. So the wine festival was more of a traveling show, more of a charter bus tour of because a lot of people were not even aware and this was in the early 2000s a lot of people were not aware of the number of wineries that were in the state of michigan not to mention within an hour of downtown detroit i am not aware how many are there well well back then there were more like 60 wineries 50 to 60 wineries within the state of michigan that was the early 2000s um, currently, we are pushing 100, somewhere between 160 and 200 wineries in the state. Wow. And the biggest cluster is around Traverse City, and the second biggest cluster is the Lake Michigan Shore area, which is, was it Saugatuck, Fenville, Baroda, Buchanan, um, which are basically on the road to Chicago off of I-94. Because the oldest winery in the state, which actually started in, if I'm not mistaken, it started in Windsor, moved over to Detroit, and then moved out to Pawpaw, Michigan on the West Coast. And that is St. Julian. Okay. So you're still doing it. You're taking these tours to, to all these places. That, and, you know, is there a lot of interest? Has it been gaining an interest over time? Are you doing these tours all year round? Over time. Uh, over time, I mean, I've been in and out of it for, for 20 years doing it. There are actually more people picking up and taking people to vineyards. In fact, I've always told people, if you're going to Traverse City, you need at least an overnight or two-day event because you got to travel. First, it's a four-hour trip up there and a four-hour trip back. So so you got to give it an overnight because we had, we had one provider that decided they want to do a day trip to Traverse City, and I've never seen anybody do it again because it's – it's almost impossible to drive up there in a day and do 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 more than two wineries. Yeah, well, if it's going to be an eight-hour travel day, you're not going to fit in more than that. I'm just I'm so fascinated that there are so many wineries and that this has grown into such a um, you know such a big thing. The tourism side of it, as well as the actual wine production side of it. You said you're hoping to add inter- international trips too. Yeah, uh, just to talk more about. The Traverse City trips. I'm actually working on a couple of trips for 2024, and I'm working with another group that's bringing something up, and they're actually flying in from Tampa. Wow. So if Michigan wines are drawing a crowd, this is really good to know. Next time I visit my mother in Ohio, I might have to take a sidebar trip. <laughs> my my favorite wineries in the state are, put put this way, my favorite winery and favorite winemakers would be Belago up in Lake Leelanau in the Leland Peninsula around Traverse City. And a buddy of mine, Charlie Edson, started it. He's now more or less like winemaker emeritus now. But my second favorite one is uh, Winecroft Marland, uh, which is in Pullman, Michigan, outside of Fenville. Jim Lester. And they're all doing whites. No, 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 no. Some reds, too. They are doing... The Lago has a unique microclimate because it's right near... You have the peninsulas up there around Traverse City. They are by Lake Leelanau, which is a lake that is in the middle of the Leelanau Peninsula. So you have the 
influences of like Michigan as well as like Lila Ma on the great growing in that area. Ah, so excellent. they're doing really nice Pinot Noirs. They're doing some nice Bordeaux blends. And then you go down to Fenville to Wycroft Marlin where Jim Lester has created what I call a little heaven over there where everything is a state grown. He does do minor projects with Lemon Creek. He also he also made a wine out of the Riesling from Belago, but he does a Bordeaux blend called Show, and he does a Bordeaux White and a Bordeaux Rouge, and the Bordeaux Blanc is Sauvignon Blanc and Simeon. Wow, this is amazing. I, I, I didn't expect to hear all these French varietals in Michigan, so this is really kind of eye-opening on so many levels. I'm really glad you were free to talk today. I, I know you've been working on a magazine, too, so, you know... That, that has been... Just like just like the, the wine festival, the magazine has been has been a chore and it's probably it's probably gonna be something that will thoroughly materialize once I retire from the court. It doesn't sound like you're ever retiring, Chuck, I have to say. You sound like a very busy and very um driven person. So I'm not gonna be holding my breath for this magazine. No, I'll be retiring from the court. I just won't I will I won't be retiring from wine, but I'll be retiring from the court. That's amazing. Well, I'm going to, I don't think I can beat that quote. I, I'm not retiring from wine. Um, <laughs> I'm going to not take up any more of your time. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and just chatting about the wine scene in Michigan and specifically in Detroit. Uh, it's not an area that gets attention on a global front. And it's very cool to hear you know, about the outreach that you're doing into a community that seems so receptive to everything you do. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Um, I just want to end with, we will be launching the fundraising line called, called the dream. Oh, okay. Which, which, which that was the wine collaboratives. Uh, who was that? Brian Lilly and Brian Hosmer from Chateau Chantal brought a concept to us to create a wine as a fundraising tool for scholarships for uh, underrepresented people, for WSET, as well as Enology and and, uh, Viticultural Studies. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we came up with a concept, picked a name, got approval for the name, created the label. We went and tasted at Chateau Chantal. I came up with the blend. That's the 60%. What is that? That is 60% Pinot Blanc. There's some Oshawa in there. There's some Gavir Streaming in there. And there's even a hybrid grape from from Geisenheim that we threw in the mix. So the first one is an an off-dry white and... We're getting ready to launch in Michigan at Total Wine and Meyer starting in February of 2023. That's fantastic. Feb 2023. Well, I wish you all the very best of luck with that because it's a, such an important project. If we don't get people into the education pro, you know, process, learning about more wine and learning about you know the opportunities that are out there, many people don't think there's a career in wine. So getting boots on the ground and, you know, butts on seats in classrooms is so important. So I'm really glad that you're going to make the funding available for people who want to do that. Because let's face it, it's expensive. It's very expensive. Very. Well, we wish you all the very, very best with the dream wine. Um, And I'm going to have to take a look at that after I get off the phone with you here. And we hope that you continue to inspire your community. So thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Cynthia. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening, and remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.